Só quero ver Olelei, olalá Quero ver quem tá na dança Eu quero ver quem vai sambar Mas só quero ver, só quero Que a gente tente, ninguém pode segurar. Só quero ver, só quero ver. Olalê, olalá. Quero ver quem tá na dança, mas eu quero ver quem vai sambar. Mas só quero ver, só quero ver. Olalê, olalá. Quero ver quem tá na dança, eu quero ver quem vai sambar. Você diz que sabe tudo, sabe tudo muito bem. Você não sabe nada, sabe de nada, porém Porque quem sabe de tudo não se vinga de ninguém Só quero ver, só quero ver Oh, lele, oh, lala Quero ver quem tá na dança Eu quero ver quem vai sambar Mas só quero, só quero, só quero, só quero ver Oh, lele, oh, lala Quero ver, quero ver quem tá na dança Eu quero ver quem vai sambar Duas vidas todos temos Ninguém cansa de dizer Mas para por causa disso, isso é que a gente não deve É melhor levar a vida antes que a vida nos leve Só quero ver, só quero ver Oh, lele, oh, lala Quero ver quem tá na dança Quero ver quem vai sambar Mas só quero ver, só quero ver Oh, lele, oh, lala Quero ver quem tá na dança Quero ver quem vai sambar De que vale ter dinheiro E tanto se preocupar Riqueza de um poeta mora na vida e no tempo. O dinheiro lá não rouba, mas não roubo o pensamento. Só quero ver, só quero ver. Okay. Hope you were able to see the value of all that collective hard work you did for one another over the course of the semester preparing the, for our discussions. You were also at the same time preparing for your midterm. I don't know if you realized that then, but I think many of you have since realized that. Um, Professor Sullivan's with me Hello. tonight. Hello. We're going to talk about William James. How, um, before we get in, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah, doing okay? Yeah. How are your students doing? They're very stressed out. Very stressed out. Yes. I think mine are too. Yeah, it seems if I had like to guess. this... Very tired. They seem very tired and kind of... Lo a lot of a lot of what we might call like a thousand-yard stare <laughs> on the Zoom. I We had a guest in our Zoom on Friday, so mm -hmm. we had a little bit, something to like perk us up a little bit. It wasn't just our usual thing, because... We had a guest, so that was fun. One of our authors came. Ooh, very nice. Zoomed in, so that was fun. We can only visit our authors in our minds <laughs> in this class. Minds. That's true. Sad that's to say. True. That's true. But I, I feel the students. I also 
think to myself, where is the fall break? Mm-hmm. So that's tough. But I did get a little bit. I feel like I had my little sort of fall break in that our child had a sleepover. Mm-hmm. And so I got to sleep in. And I know when I say when I sleep until to you guys, it doesn't seem like I've slept in. But I slept until about 20 after 8 this morning, which felt it's pretty glorious. Late. It's pretty late. <laughs> felt Good. glorious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was awesome. Cool. Because it was Indigenous People's Day, so she didn't have school today. So she hung out. She with hung her, out with friends. Her with our pod. Yes, yes. So that was good. Good, good. Yeah. Well, um, hang in there, everyone. Yeah, hang in there. Um, we're going to talk about William James for a little while. I guess I don't know if I should tell anyone this, but I think I maybe now is the time. You, you know, if you ask me what I know about William James, I could probably spill the beans. Well, you could spill the beans. I mean, I think that William—I think that William James is the only author who that we read this semester um, that I have a tattoo related to. <laughs> related tattoo, like a, a, a James-inspired, very, Peter. very abstract, very abstract James tat. Yeah, yeah, and. One would like to say that that was a youthful mistake, but uh, I'm here to report that it was not at all youthful. Nor did it seem to be a mistake. It hasn't been a mistake at all. I feel like you still love it. On the contrary, it only gets better. It only gets better. It only gets better. Yeah. Um, so that just tells you a little bit about where I'm at with respect <laughs> to James, with respect to William James. Mm-hmm. Um, we also live off of James Street. We do live off of James Street. Which was named after William James's grandfather. Uh, William the tattoo was procured at the James Street Parlor by a tattooist who is very into nineteenth-century tattoo history. Yeah. So it was kind of a done deal <laughs> uh, for this guy, anyway. It was your, like, okay, your name is Joel Winkleman. Here we go. Um, so yeah, so James James's family's wealth came from the canal and from the development of upstate New York. Um, but his J- William James's father actually squandered all of the family's wealth As these on folks do. an elaborate education for his children, um, for his many children. He had five children. Uh, James William James, uh, his most famous brother was Henry James, the novelist, nineteenth-century novelist that you, if you take classes in American literature, you have almost certainly read. Um, he had a sister, Alice James, uh, and he had two brothers. Both of whom uh, was Robertson and uh, Wilkie, named after J.J. Garth Wilkinson, mm-hmm. his father's mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. So uh, Robertson and Wilkie both fought in the Civil War for the Union. Uh, William and Henry and Alice did not. Uh, they were too young. And uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I don't know. I mean, we. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get too far in the weeds with with William James. Best. Best not to. Um, what we have before us tonight are two essays that are um, from a volume that James um, collected called Talks to Teachers and Students. These are two of the talks to students. These are two lectures that he gave to students at Harvard College, I believe at Harvard College, when he was a professor there. Um, but they were talks to like student clubs. They were not lectures, academic lectures in his psychology classrooms. Okay. They were Talks to 
clubs about some big issues of life. I mean, these Amazing. are really meaning of life questions, right? Can't so wait. the first one is called On a Certain Blindness in Human Beings, and it's followed up by uh, a, a lecture called What Makes a Life Significant? Which, right, right. Um, so why don't we just jump in, and then I've got a couple questions, you know, just things to think about since, um, yeah, we'll, we'll just jump in and we'll... we'll We'll let the conversation take it where it takes us. <laughs> Let's take it where it takes us. All right, so page 267. James says, We are practical beings, each of us with limited functions and duties to perform. Each is bound to feel intensely the importance of his own duties and the significance of the situation that call these forth. But this feeling is in each of us a vital secret for sympathy with which we vainly look to... Uh, but this... Feeling is in each of us a vital secret for sympathy with which we vainly look to others. The others are too much absorbed with their own vital secrets to take an interest in ours. Hence the stupid and injustice of our opinions, so far as they deal with the significance of alien lives. Hence the falsity of our judgments, so far as they presume to decide in an absolute way on the value of other persons' conditions or ideals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll, we'll translate that. Well, I feel like this is like funny to read this passage, having just talked about Jane Addams's like, what you're supposed to do is like go out to the thronged and common road and see everyone's burdens. And I feel mm -hmm. like James is kind of like, you have no clue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you have no clue what burdens are in there. <laughs> like, sure. Now, I mean, not burdens right. necessarily, but like he's actually talking about. I mean. In a way, it is, right? Because in some sense, I feel like this, like, feel intensely the importance of his own duties. I guess I found myself in this moment as I have, like, barely leave my house and just think about my work and my students and taking mm -hmm. care of my kid and getting some semblance of chores done, right? Mm -hmm. Where, like, I feel totally absorbed in my own duties these days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I think think about that and the importance of the duties it doesn't feel like lofty and weighty like right. my you know your animating ideals yeah like i think about like kind of diffuse anxiety <laughs> and mm -hmm. like you know so i mean in some regard i feel like it is a little bit of a you know, each is burdens, even though he's not talking about it and i mean in the sense in which it's like a vital secret like where it's like somehow you're, it almost feel like it's like trapped, you know, in right. there. I don't know. Maybe this is just my own COVID mood, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds yeah. like though you're saying, I mean, it sounds like you've actually kind of covered a lot of ground and kind of swung it in some different directions. I mean, on the one hand. <laughs> this is my own stream of consciousness. Your own stream of consciousness, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I feel like part of what you were getting at is this idea that we get kind of trapped in our own heads and yes. our own projects. Correct. Right. Yes. And that that sense of trappedness in our own heads and projects makes it difficult for us to see what anyone else is doing. Right. Right. And then at the end, though, I feel like that part when you were focusing on that vital secrets thing you uncovered a different layer of, I think, what's in, contained in that quote, right? Which is like these vital secrets, right? This sense of like, 
you know, you don't really know what other people are longing for, mm-hmm. right? And that there are these sort of, that others' motivations and others, you know, desires and hopes and dreams are a mystery to to us. But I feel like it's like the part where, I think the reason I don't see it as the hopes and dreams partly is because he describes the vital secret as something which we vainly look to others for sympathy. Right? It wasn't like we look for like... Yeah, no, so this is like a whole nother layer on this, right? That we want other people to like pay attention to us and to notice... See our burdens. To see our burdens. And they're just too trapped in their own... In their own burdens. And then they just have the falsity of... Oh, we have the falsity of our judgments when we try to imagine what they're going through. And yeah, I mean, how many? I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to like you know, run out any dirty laundry here. But like, how many domestic conflicts are related to this? In general, like the I mean, like, I'm just between you and me. Oh, of not being able to of being insensitive to one another's like. You know, of wanting recognition for the the weight that we are pulling, pulling around. Oh, especially in COVID, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. We look vainly for sympathy to, to be <laughs> recognized as this vital secret like, of like all the shit that we've both been oh doing. My God, do you know how many things I scrubbed today? Right. Yeah. No. No, for sure. And I mean, like those are like that one. At its most mundane, you know, up to like whatever other burdens of importance or whatever. And so this is, so I remember the title of this essay was On a Certain Blindness in Human Beings. And this right right here that we've been talking about is the blindness, right? right? Right. That we don't actually know another mind. We don't know another soul. And there are these beautiful passages about how like sometimes we can kind of get a little glimpse, yada, yada. Right. Um, And that, I mean, really, if we wanted to read hard on that, there is this part of, you know, what it means to love someone is to, in a sense, presume to and to desire to know what's, to know their vital mm-hmm. secrets. Mm-hmm. And that in so doing, you can come as close as possible to, you know, to, to getting rid of this blindness. Do we get any of that or we're just... No, nah, we kind of skipped blind. over it, you know, <laughs> I mean... Just here on the blind. All right. <laughs> 272 to 273. They read it. Maybe we'll talk about it in class, you know? Hopefully we'll talk about it in <laughs> class. Jack and Jill. Things. I mean, it's a little heteronormative, but whatever. It was <laughs> 1899. <laughs> um, all right. Yet we are but finite, and each one of us has some single specialized vocation of his own. And it seems as if energy in the service of its particular tries might be got only by hardening the heart toward everything unlike them. Our deadness toward all but one particular kind of joy would thus be the price we inevitably have to pay for being practical creatures. Right. Now he's talking to students on the cusp of of adulthood. Yeah, their vocation. Of their own vocations. And he's saying, we as practical men of the world know that we have to close ourselves off to others. We know that we have to, that this blindness is the cost of worldly success. Is that in this quote? No. This one's, I thought it wasn't necessarily to others. Oh, I guess, I mean, it's like hardening the heart toward everything unlike them, which is coming off of this sense of a specialized Mm -hmm, vocation. mm -hmm. And that, 
we would only have one particular kind of joy presumably associated with this specialized vocation. So he's telling us here that this world of practical and worldly success, when we in, go out into the world, we feel the pressures of this, uh, we feel intense kind of social pressure to give ourselves over to this blindness. I think the worldly success is coming. Oh, good. Good. Well, then go ahead and let's jump there. This Should whole... I read that one? I, this is the, this read the whole. Go ahead. Stream of consciousness made me just think about how my stepmother mm -hmm. is always telling me, is always saying, yelling at me that I should make sure I keep hobbies <laughs> because when sure. you get old, if you, you need only hobbies. had the specialized vocation, that it's like wicked hard because yeah. that vocation often can't last till your last. Days. To retire is to expire, saith some of the, yeah. you know, uh, dummies. <laughs> so, <laughs> Honestly. Um, anyway. But, I mean, that's where it comes from, right? Yeah. I mean, there's this yeah. this idea is still alive. Right. Absolutely. Work, right. work, 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 work. And, like, all, like, work is a calling, right? Work is, like, that, you know, your meaning comes from work. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot gets pushed into Lock, it's pushed there. Pushed there. All right, so I'll keep going, though, because this mm -hmm. is related. I think this next one. 276. Yet so blind and dead does the clamor of our own practical interests make us to all other things that it seems almost as if it were necessary to become worthless as a practical being. Mm -hmm. If one is to hope to attain any breath of insight into the impersonal world of worths as such, to have any perception of life's meaning on a large objective scale... Only your mystic, your dreamer, or your insolvent tramp or loafer can afford so sympathetic an occupation. An occupation which will change the usual standards of human value in the twinkling of an eye, giving to foolishness the place ahead of power, and laying low in a minute the distinctions which it takes a hard-working, conventional man a lifetime to build up. You may be a prophet at this rate, but you cannot a worldly success. You can't sit around and think about the meaning of life, you know you what I mean? just think your thoughts. Look at this guy. Dreams. Get a job, sir. Get a job, sir. Right? You insolvent tramp or loafer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's funny. So this blindness I mean, is a natural, there's a natural element to weird? it? weird? Because weren't all the Jameses like Renaissance men? I mean... What do you mean like, by that? Didn't they do like a lot of different things now oh yeah yeah well yeah i mean william james i mean you know the famous you know i mean you know one of my favorite my one of my desert island books the thought and I character do. william james shall by he ralph be a painter? yeah shall he be a painter so the elaborate education that his father that william james's father you know gave to all of his children um was indeed this um well because you know there was no public school then you know so it was like lots of tutors yeah, I mean, because that's how you right. were educated. If you were educated at all, you had tutors, and right. so his, he had tutors in Cambridge, and he had tutors. He they were sent. They they spent all of the family wealth going to Europe so that he, so that all the children could like study the great culture of Europe right. and have European tutors. And I mean, it was yes. <laughs> totally. They were one of the ten wealthiest families, and Henry James Senior so blew weird. it all. Just blew all of it. It's amazing. I mean. I mean, look, I guess if you're going to do it, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's a pretty it's awesome one, way to do it's it. It's one way know. to do it, right? It's pretty awesome. Um, I can think of many worse ways. <laughs> I think we see many worse ways all the time. I think so, too. Um, 
in any case, yeah. So he had a very he had a very he was he was educated in painting. He went on a Brazilian expedition. With, it's funny to me that like this is who's saying this about this like like is he making a claim about? Yes, he's saying resist. Is he? Yeah, we'll okay. see when it gets there. It gets <laughs> okay, there. I won't keep it going. It gets there. Going. All right, two eighty one. So is he? But I guess what I'm, what I was maybe getting at is like, I guess this is the time of, like, what do we, what do you call it with Crowley, like the scientific, like efficiency or something where specialization is becoming. Specialization, there's beginning to be more and more professionalization that's happening around this time, which is like these kinds of formerly inchoate enterprises and, and vocations are becoming more and more professionalized, becoming right. more and more standardized. And among working people, the Industrial Revolution has completed its consolidation of right. labor practices right. around standardization and mass production, right? So Right. So here we are. I mean, you're asking you're asking important questions. Let's let me let me put on the table, let's move on to the next quote, but okay. before you do, let me put on to the on the table this big question that I would like us to, I'd like you, I don't know, I'd like to hear what you think about it. Where's the politics? What does this have to do with anything political? I mean, this is very, this is all about ethics, sure. But anyway, that's just, right. it's a so question. We're, it's we're a question. thinking broadly about where's the politics. Thinking broadly what's, about what, are, what makes this. James's politics. Yeah. I mean. What, well, you should read another one real quick. Okay. Before, yeah, read another one. I was going to say, as soon as. The like idea of a tramp and a loafer get in. I feel like we're starting to get into territory you like. Well, <laughs> I like as I should. <laughs> I regularly am like, God damn, why wasn't I just a tramp and a loafer? <laughs> um, but I feel like you're also start getting into. I think we could argue that there's some politics. No, let's just keep going. Let's see. I would like. All right, two eighty one. It's not obvious. But we of the highly educated classes, so called, have most of us got far, far away from nature. We are trained to seek the choice, the rare, the exquisite exclusively, and to overlook the common. We are stuffed with abstract conceptions and glib with verbalizes and verbalities. Ver oh, sorry, verbal it was autocorrect. It's an old word. Old word verbalities. verbalities. I like that. And verbosities. Glib with verbalities and verbosities. <laughs> Can and you imagine a time when you said things like that? Oh it's man, amazing. amazing. And in the culture of these higher functions, the peculiar sources of joy connected with our simpler functions often dry up, and we grow stone blind and insensible to life's more elementary and general goods and joys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's yeah. that? What's that saying? What's that? How was that speaking to you? <laughs> was that speaking to me? Well, I did um, kind of laugh when. I read the line, we are stuffed with abstract conceptions. Even before I got mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. glib with verbalities and verbosities. Partly because I feel like our household is a kind of upward towards abstraction mm -hmm, household. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that one made me made me laugh. Um, and what's the problem with all those abstractions that our minds are stuffed with? Well, <laughs> then we... We grow stone blind and insensible to life's more elementary and general goods and joys. Like what? 
Yeah, a walk in the woods. A walk in the woods, perhaps. In the woods, perhaps. A bike ride. I mean, I don't know at this time. They're probably are they taking bike rides? Mm, bikes? Yeah, the bicycles were bicycles were um, introduced around this era, and they were they were thought to be very dangerous because okay. um, young people could go far from home without right. supervision. Right. They were definitely associated with a kind of. Um, Sexual revolution of the That's amazing. of the nineteenth century. Bicycles. Free thinkers rode bicycles, Free you know. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so awesome? It's amazing. I love it. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think that in our household it is true that we I mean, I'm sure our abstract conceptions certainly sometimes get in the way of our you know Certainly our verbalities and verbosities. <laughs> they they get in the way. But we still... Uh, and we seek out the choice. The exquisite. <laughs> I mean, I do like some choice things. So, you know. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we're not any closer to the politics here, but no. that's fine. We can keep reading. We can keep reading. All right. 284 and 85. And now, what is the result of all these considerations and quotations? All right, I should, you, he's quoted like Tolstoy. He's quoted for pages, Robert Louis okay. Stevenson. Quoted yeah. for pages, Tolstoy. Quoted for pages, uh, maybe even William Henry Hudson in here. Quoted for pages, his old buddy Josiah Royce. I mean, half of this thing is just him reading things that he thinks are great. Fun, <laughs> yeah. fun. So all what is the so he's now come to, he's he's read all these quotes and he's talked about how we've got all this blindness to things and that we we feel like we have to close ourselves off to you know other people's interests so that we can pursue our own specialization and if we get an education we close ourselves off to any kind of simple pleasures of life and we think that we can only have, be motivated by these refined or we can only right. be interested yeah, yeah. so what's the point what's right. the whole point it absolutely forbids us to be forward in pronouncing on the meaninglessness of forms of existence other than our own. Mm. And it commands us to tolerate, respect, and indulge those whom we see harmlessly interested and happy in their own ways, however unintelligible these may be to us. Hands off, neither the whole of truth nor the whole of good is revealed to any single observer. Although each observer gains a partial superiority of insight from the peculiar position in which he stands, even prisons and sick rooms have their special revelations. It is enough to ask of each of us that he should be faithful to his own opportunities and make the most of his own blessings without presuming to, I think, regulate, probably, to regulate the rest of the vast field. Mm. So what's the upshot there? So what is he, what's the end of his lecture? I mean, what's the point? Politics. Tell me how. Well, like no matter how how smart you are, you actually don't have the whole truth. Mm. Old smarty pants. Hey, smarty pants. <laughs> smarty pants. With all your learning. All your you verbalities, whole, verbosities. You they the give you something. Truth. You have a peculiar, partial superiority of truth, but so does everybody else, including the like. Yes. person in the prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... This sounds more like Adams here, right? Totally, I totally. Mean, she would never say it in this way because it's a very different... Sure. Stylistically, you know, mm -hmm. very different stylistically. But, yeah, I mean... So I think that the thing that I like about this in this section 
uh, of the course that we're in is that democracy at this point is still a kind of um, ethical ideal okay. rather than a, rather than hardened into a, a political program or even elaborated as a kind of as a set of political institutions that mm-hmm. at this point for our in the in the sweep of our course democracy is an ethical ideal and okay. from Adams it is it is uh, getting ourselves in touch with the widest range of experiences that we can. Right. Right. And it is, you can see from James here, right, a kind of, abs- like a, there's a, there's, there's is he a. contemporary with like Adams and Crowley yes. and like all these? Uh, he is older than Adams, um, but he writes this, this, these lectures come out in 1899 uh, which is roughly contemporary with when Adams was writing uh, democracy and what would later become democracy and social ethics. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just think, I mean, I know you guys haven't read anything of, I don't think that was like that real kind of professionalism. They're reading Dewey next. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, in a way, like, I feel like this is pushing back against some of those ideas of, like, that we should, that, like, expertise, to, like, have things running by expertise I mean, I don't know. He's not saying it shouldn't, but he's definitely saying that, like... Who it's really pushing against is less... I mean, yes, yes, but I think that the 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 model that it's really pushing against are these kind of, like, natural aristocrats. Oh, okay, I think that's the... I see. That's the main target of this, uh-huh. right? So this is William James, right? One of right. the... W- from one of the ten wealthiest families in the country... At this point, being like y'all, right? We don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have a monopoly on truth. Like right. we don't actually even have a monopoly on the best values. Right, like, right. If we think about Adams, this is partially just pushing against her own lived experience that James is doing the same. That this is less like an intellectual conflict with other thinkers at the time, and more. Well, I mean, sort of, probably, but like in his. I think there are plenty of people at Harvard College in 1899 oh, who would right, have disagreed right, with right. William James. Right, 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 right. I think right, there are plenty. Right, right, I think right. there are still plenty of people right. at Harvard University who would disagree with William James about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. W- whether whether we have this blindness and whether this blindness is of any significance. Right, and whether the, anybody has anything to learn from anybody in the prisons or the sick rooms. Yes, I mean this this idea may even may even live in some of the darker corners of Hamilton College for all I know. Right. I don't. Right. I wouldn't know, but right. it may live there. Right. So yeah, I, he's arguing with people, but he's arguing with people who would subscribe to a kind of natural right. Maybe aristocratic. His colleagues. <laughs> yes, probably right. his colleagues. Gotcha. Not gotcha. not Josiah Royce, of course, whom he called Roycey. Royce. <laughs> they yeah. spent many a fine summer in the Adirondacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Truly, they did. When you read the letters of these from this period that men wrote to each other. It's like amazing. They all had like pet names and like. It was beautiful. It was. It was before the 1920s when fraternity culture really took a turn for the homosocial, you would call it. Um, Wait, what? I don't know. I don't. We definitely don't want to talk about that. But. Well, men were allowed to be affectionate with one another without it being, like, men could oh, men could be publicly That's affectionate. What I was, yeah. And could have that kind of flowery affection for one another. Right. Yes. Up till around the 1920s. And then they weren't allowed anymore. Well, I mean, allowed. I don't know what that means. But, you know, I said it. But, like, it w- there was more pressure around. Right. 
Yeah. Should not act like that. Well, I think they should. I think you guys should bring it back. Should start writing texts to each other. Very flowery. The youth, not we can't do it. We're we're too old. You guys could do it. All right. All right. Where are we at? So I meditated. Ah, so here we are. We're on a different essay. Okay. If if James has been meditating, we're in a different essay. <laughs> we're in a different this essay. is it from what makes life significant. Okay. And here James, in the first little few pages, he's just kind of refreshed his auditor's memory of what he said of his big wisdom and on a certain blindness. And he has he's said I was thinking about this other stuff. You know, what I was thinking about was I went to Chautauqua recently, uh-huh. western New York. Yep. I would love to know if any of you have been to Chautauqua. Uh, listeners from the class. I haven't been to Chautauqua. I did go to a Chautauqua event when I was a child um, in high school. My mom and I went to a Chautauqua event. It was held at OSU Tulsa. And um, we saw it was, he was a reenactor, a Thomas Hart Benton reenactor. I don't even know who that is. Uh, He's a painter, uh, contemporary. Let's see, when would he have been? Uh, Probably around this time. He was kind of a, yeah, I mean, doesn't matter. But anyway. he goes to Chautauqua. William James goes to Chautauqua. And he's like, this place sucks. Chautauqua. <laughs> yeah. Chautauqua was like a middle brow educational place, right? It was, yeah, it was it was a vacation center. It was a he calls it later, you'll see, he calls it sabbatical city. Sabbatical city. <laughs> it was a vac- <laughs> it was a vacation place. You know, at the time vacations were, it was a little bit worrisome about, like, if you left home, where did you stay? If you weren't visiting family Family. and friends, like, where did you stay? You couldn't just stay at a hotel. Like, there was gambling and maybe prostitution and drinking there. And, like, middle-class people didn't stay in hotels. Because, like, whoa. Like, okay. working-class people. Sometimes, okay, maybe there are some places that you, but, like, not a lot of middle-class people could go on vacation without yeah, risking their morality. Right. Um, so Chautauqua was part of this world of catering to middle class vacation vacation values, right? Middle class values. I mean, so so James is there, and it's this beautiful mock up town with all this great educational and cultural stuff. And he's like, "Man, this place sucks. Like, I don't know why I can't stand it here. Like, by all rights, this should be paradise, right?" The culture here is fine. The music here is great. I hate it here. <laughs> That's amazing. And why do I hate it here? So I meditated. Okay. So he's leaving Chautauqua, and he's headed up to Buffalo. Okay. I'm sure he's checking on his, his like, family properties. Right. <laughs> All along the Erie Canal, which cool. he did yearly. He made yearly trips to Syracuse. Check him out. All right, so I meditated. And first of all, I asked myself what the thing was that was so lacking in this sabbatical city, and the lack of which kept one forever falling short of the higher sort of contentment. And I soon recognized that it was the element that gives to the wicked outer world all its moral style, expressiveness, and picturesqueness. The element of precipitousness, so to call it, of strength and strenuousness, intensity and danger, what excites and interests the looker-on at life, what the romances and the statues celebrate, and the grim civic monuments remind us of, is the everlasting battle of the powers of light 
with those of darkness, with heroism reduced to its bare chance, yet ever and anon snatching victory from the jaws of death. Okay, I have no <laughs> idea what's happening here. None? None whatsoever? Okay, no, I like this really lost. Got so, lost in the precipitousness, so to call yeah, it. Yeah, there was like so many large words and... Okay, I soon recognized that it was the element that gives to the wicked outer world. I feel like this must be so affirming to the students in my class. Style. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, expressiveness and picturesqueness. So it's too cultivated? Yeah. There's not any darkness. There's no darkness. There's no darkness to battle against. Right. Give me the gambling house so I can it's suppress my <laughs> urge to gamble. But that's not even what he's it's saying. not what he's saying, it's exactly. Like he doesn't have any grim civic monuments to remind us of the everlasting battle of the powers, right? No, there's, like, not, there's nothing there that would call forth an any kind of heroism. Response, right? Like a, yeah. Like any a, kind, in Chautauqua, it's all bland. It's all bland, yeah. It's just this bland place where there's no danger. There's nothing that calls for any strength or strenuousness. Right. It's, there's nothing that like calls a, for... It's a resort. It's a resort, and he's bored. And he's bored at the resort. He's bored at the resort. Yeah, okay. Cool, got it. All right, so he's bored, and he thinks he's bored because everything's too easy. It's too easy, It comes yeah. too easily. Yeah. All right. All right, page 291. So what makes a life significant? That's the question that hangs over this. Okay. Certainly it's not having everything brought to you right. by room service. Right, yes. Not laying around in indolent cultivation. Right. Okay. All right. 291. As I awoke to all this unidealized... Now here he is. Oh, sorry. He's rolling into Buffalo on the train okay. up from Chautauqua. All and right. he sees he sees on, the, like, uh, on some like, bridge that's being built, he sees a workman out there on the precipice. <laughs> all right? Okay. As I woke... To all this unidealized, heroic life around me, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the scales seemed to fall from my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> a religious moment. And a wave of sympathy greater than anything I had ever before felt with the common life of common men began to fill my soul. There you soul. go. There you go. It began to seem as if virtue with horny hands and dirty skin <laughs> were the only virtue genuine and vital enough to take account of. Every other virtue poses. None is absolutely unconscious and simple and unexpectant of decoration or recognition like this. These are our soldiers, thought I. These are sustainers. These, the very parents of life. Yes, yeah, so he has this revelation that if he wants to know what makes a life significant. He's got to get his hands dirty. He's got to get his calloused. hands. That's right. That's right. Got to work for it. Now. Just to be clear, he's, uh, I mean, I don't want to... He's not. I don't want to scoop anything. Work. He's going to, he, he is going to resist his own urge. He's pulled in this direction, but as he reflects on it more, he realizes that... <laughs> he's like, actually, that doesn't sound good. No, it's not that. It's just that it, it, it that there is a certain idealization. True. I mean... True. It took him reading Tolstoy to really uh, no, figure out that he had maybe enough. made this idealizing move there. Um, you can just think of some of the members of his family probably that were racked by lives of manual labor. No, he couldn't think of any of them. Yeah. He could he could have if he had wanted to think upon his 
sister who was driven mad by want of something to do because she was essentially overlooked in the family. Right, right, because she was a woman. You got it. There is a... I wish I could remember the name of the play. It's a Neil... But that's the other side, not the side where your body is, like, wrecked because you live a life of... Correct. Hard labor. Correct. Yes, no, no. James had no... You know, it did, it actually, though, I mean, well, it's not important. I won't get into James's own nervous breakdown in Europe. Yeah. All right, so Go ahead. keep going. Go ahead. 295. Is the functional utility the worth to the universe? This is after he's had his whole, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Okay. Uh, but this is after, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry for interrupting you. Um, he has, he's read Tolstoy, who idealizes peasants and hates the cultivated, hates the educated, takes, Tolstoy takes this kind of anti-intellectual turn. Okay. And, um, and he's thinking on Tolstoy, and he's like, and Tolstoy's getting it wrong. I think Tolstoy's missing something here. Okay. Okay. Is the functional utility the worth to the universe of a certain definite amount of courage, kindness, and patience? No greater if the possessor of these virtues is in an educated situation, working out far-reaching tasks, than if he be an illiterate nobody, hewing wood and drawing water just to keep himself alive. Is that the end of your quote there? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's kind of funny here is that, like, you almost feel like (laughs) you need to read the essay, the other one. You mean the lecture that he just gave? Yeah. I mean, presumably not actually right one after the other, right? I don't know. Literally, yes. Yeah. Literally, they gave the, he yeah. gave them. I mean, it's kind of funny because it's like he just has been like, your view is partial. Like, your view certainly has its own power and superiority, but like, so does everybody else's. And then it's like funny that then it's like, oh, <laughs> what? how could we imagine? I mean, I, I don't know. It seems funny to me that like he's yeah that this one is second why i don't understand what are you trying to say well from i feel like in that first essay that we just read the blindness essay Mm -hmm. that he is quite clearly acknowledging that people in all these different positions have their own unique knowledge and he talks about it in that sense of the blindness to one another to some degree, but I think he also is pointing out like that there is special knowledge that comes from all these positionalities, right? Mm-hmm. And but then I here, feel like here for a minute he's like, oh. But these are virtues that he's talking about here, not ideals. Kindness, courage. Oh, okay. So these the other virtues. thing was, well, what was he talking about before? Duties? No. Feelings. Feelings? Sometimes feelings. No. Keep reading. All right. Keep reading. Anyway. Okay. Okay, so anyway, there we was. Thinking it's okay to be educated. That's good. We should tell the students it's okay to be educated. I I think that's worth emphasizing. (laughs) 
Definitely. It's, it's okay to be educated. Um, you haven't lost out on the possibility for kindness, patience, and courage no. just by dint of being educated. No. And but that's this is what I mean. But really, this is James's. James. Well, and like I mean, this other thing of like, I mean, presumably his recognition of that right here on two ninety five, right, is that like you and the illiterate nobody hewing wood and drawing water may possess the same amount of courage, you kindness, and patience, right? That, like, pushing against the aristocrat, the aristocrat doesn't have a monopoly on courage, kindness, and patience, but pushing against this Tolstoy mm -hmm. raising up of the peasant, like, neither does the peasant. Exactly. Right? That's exactly like, right. That we can all have those mm -hmm. virtues, which also is political, if we're going back to the question. Mm -hmm. Right. 297. If there were any such morally exceptional individuals, however, what made them different from the rest? It can only have been this, that their souls worked and endured in obedience to some inner ideal, while their comrades were not actuated by anything worthy of that name. Mm. These ideals of others, uh oh, these ideals of other lives are among those secrets that we can Ooh. almost never penetrate. Those vital secrets yeah, that we were talking about before. Although something about the man may often tell us when they are there. Mm -hmm. So he says there are certainly, it is certainly the case that some people are possessed of greater yeah. moral, moral fortitude, fortitude than others. Yeah. And what is it that makes them so? Right. And, and that you can't necessarily see that super clearly. No. Yeah. Right? Well, I think about that as, so our child is reading all of these books about World War II at the moment. Um, so we've been thinking about some of these exceptional moral, mm -hmm. like, right, and the sort of sense of, like, you know, that some of these people endured so, or, like, you know, had this inner ideal so strong that they risked just huge amounts, right? Mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. Yes, th yes, yeah. There are, yes, there are moments of moral... I mean, it's the part where, where James is, it's getting back to that part of of this moment of like a heroism or something like that right. there are, the, in, in the yeah. world outside of Chautauqua, reality does sometimes call on mm -hmm. these moments of, of these virtues, which could be courage, they could be kindness, they could be patience, right? But right. that there is, well, but also there is I mean, a raging battle of good and evil, well, light and dark. Yeah, and like that, like you partly see it in these moments of grimness, mm -hmm. right? Right, that it's like... Oh, the, really? Grimness, moments of grimness. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> have to look really far to find those. Right now, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Snatching victory from the jaws of death. Um, I can almost never read that quote properly because my mom always says, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. That's because your mom's a Democrat. Uh, <laughs> all right. Page 299. Page 299. All right. You see, my friends, how the plot now thickens. Ah, so this, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Just keep reading. And how strangely the complexities of this wonderful human nature of ours begin <sighs> to develop under our hands. We've seen the blindness and deadness to each other. Oh, yeah, he literally did just write this other thing. 
which are our natural inheritance. No, I mean, literally, yeah. He, these yeah. were lectures that he gave <laughs> successive weeks. Yeah. <laughs> week two on week a certain two. blindness, week three, what makes a life significant? Uh. Uh. Okay, we have seen the blindness and deadness to each other, which are our natural inheritance, and in spite of them, we have been led to acknowledge an inner meaning with which pathos was, sorry, which passeth show. It's a little hard to read out loud. Mm -hmm. And which may be present in the lives of others where we least descry it. And now we are led to say that such inner meaning can be complete and valid for us also, only when the inner joy, courage, and endurance are joined with an ideal. Mm. Okay. I'm not sure what's happening here either. I got a little bogged when I was reading that, but. So other people are a mystery to us. Correct. And we have reflected on how, James has reflected on how uh, some of these other people who are mysterious to us seem to be living lives that are more courageous than ours somehow. Oh, I see. And yet here we are now, we've, we've explored this thought a little bit further and we see that it is possible for us indeed also. to right. also live with the same kind of virtue, with the same kind of moral courage and, and, and whatnot. Right, but we have to, it only happens when that inner joy, courage, and endurance are joined, joined. with an ideal. Yeah, the, when the virtues are joined with the ideals. Gotcha. So we can't just be living on ideals. We can't, can't be just, a nihilist either. You can be neither a nihilist nor someone who has no... Virtues. Yeah. But neither of those alone... Right. They have to be joined. ...are sufficient. I think that's what you're about to read about. 301. It is when ideals pretend singly to redeem ah. life from insignificance. Culture and refinement all alone are not enough to do so. Sorry, Chautauqua. <laughs> Ideal aspirations are not enough when uncombined with pluck and will. But neither are pluck and will, dogged endurance, and insensibility to danger enough when taken all alone. Mm. There must be some sort of fusion, some chemical combination among these principles for a life objectively and thoroughly significant to result. Yes, indeed. Isn't that interesting? But I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, I think I like that it. that's, that's nice. I think that it's a nice thing, right? That like, and I mean, I think that this is something that maybe from the course you're teaching this semester about social movements, right? That like sitting around with your awesome and sober analysis of a problem right. is useless. Right. But so is just acting without right. any analysis at all. Right. Right? Right. And that uh, there's one thing I like about it. And it, I mean, so it's true in social action, in right. political action. It's true in life more broadly right. <laughs> as well. Yes. But like just continuing to plow ahead, like working some job with no sense of what, right. you know, your, with what purpose you're doing it is going to bum you out eventually. But so also is fretting about finding the perfect thing that matches your ideals without just taking a step into the world. Right. Also is going to bum you the bum you out. Right. Just sitting around imagining what the ideal would be or right. focusing on your, you know, so I think it's, right. it fits all kinds of things. Yeah. Fits all kinds of things. Now there's one last quote on the back of the page, which I 
think. No, I still have one more over here. You have one more there too? Oh my yeah. heavens. There's two more. I thought this was the last one, but there's looks like there's two more. This is and this is all democracy as an ethical ideal. All right. Three oh two. Society has, with all this, undoubtedly got to pass towards some newer and better equilibrium, and the distribution of wealth has doubtless to doubtless slowly got to change. Such changes have always happened and will happen to the end of time. But if, after all that I have said, any of you expect that they will make you oh, that they will make any genuine vital difference on a large scale to the lives of our descendants, you'll have missed the significance of my entire lecture. <laughs> the solid meaning of life is always the same eternal thing. The marriage, namely, of some uninhabited, oh, sorry, some unhabitual ideal, however special, with some fidelity, courage, and endurance, with some man's or woman's pains. Mm -hmm. It's not enough just to, you know, yeah. equalize social conditions that won't make life significant. The significance still has to be generated in an individual life. Ooh. But it seems like you do still have to have <laughs> the distribution of wealth, which doubtless has got to change. Has got to change and will change till the end of time. Mm -hmm. Kind of interesting that that comes in there like a he says, so it comes, up, it comes up this way. He says to this body of young Harvard men in 1899, he says, <clears throat> all about you in the world, people are discussing the labor question. Oh, okay. And it's something that, you know, we all have to deal with. And it really seems like it's caused us a lot of problems. Gotcha. He says, I don't think they're very big problems in the grand scheme of things. Okay. Um, but the big problems that they had, that it seems to have caused, if you ask me, what I think the labor question's really about. Um, I think that the major problem is that, is that, that the rich hate the poor and the poor hate the rich. And that's, that's the main crux of the problem of the labor question. Okay. And so, yes, we've got to equalize the distribution of wealth. Okay. But, but but we still need yeah. people willing to join ideals and virtues. And their own pains. Ooh. Hmm. Also. Hmm. Seems like there's a lot still there to unpack. Maybe we can do that in class. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of Adams. I mean... I thought that the burdens were kind of implicit in that earlier one mm -hmm. where you were getting sympathy, but here they're explicit, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of interesting. I mean, I guess if we're also sort of pushing towards thinking about what is political, mm -hmm. right? So he's like, yes, yes, okay, more egalitarian distribution of wealth. But that's not the crux of it, right? The crux of it has to have these things with the ideals and the fidelity, courage, and endurance with the pains, which, I mean, thinking about that, I mean, in a democratic way, right, then you would need to have some representation of this sort of broad spectrum of pains to some degree. Dewey will take us fully formed into the political. 
right mm -hmm. now, democracy, I think, does remain still this kind of ethical ideal as a matter of a kind of, that it's a kind of character trait. Right, 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 right. Rather than yet a set of, yet a way of thinking about organizing political institutions. And we're also still thinking about, like, in this example, mm -hmm. maybe unlike Adams to some degree. I mean, this is very much about, it's like about my own life. Yes. Right, and like, it's important that I understand that other people have equal access to that, to have their life have meaning. Yes. Right, that like, I don't yes. have any special, nothing about me makes me have special access. That's part to of like, the democratic character. Right, to the meaning of life. But there's nothing here about a collective. No. No, right. no, like, it's still which, I mean, highly like individualistic. To others, it's really it's, about it's a world of atomized like, individuals yeah. for James. Still, yeah, right. It's a still still operating in a world of atomized individuals. Yeah. So in that way, it's that's it, it, one way in which it's it's sort of, you know, I guess when I've when I've thought about this before, I've kind of thought about James and and I've thought about James kind of as a as pre political. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if I like that as much, but I, I guess I still just think that in this in this period, I still think democracy has not yet fully emerged as a political ideal, and people like James and Adams are are some of the people who help make it one. We are pushing into that, yeah. All right, should I read our last one? Let's take it on out of here. Page three hundred three. The changing conditions of history touch only the surface of the show. The altered equilibriums and redistributions only diversify our opportunities and open chances to us for new ideals. But with each new ideal that comes into life, the chance for a life based on some old ideal will vanish. Mm. <laughs> and he, he would needs be a presumptuous calculator who should with confidence say that the total sum of significances is positively and absolutely greater at any one epoch than at any other of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's not, I mean, I guess that there it's like also against some sort of like classical static sense of what ideals are, right? He's like open to that we might change. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely, yes. Pragmatism is right. totally anti-foundational in that sense, right. right? That there is no... Which is another kind of way that this is political, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right, is sort of the idea that it's okay that some old ideal will vanish. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that that the new or the old was less, what does he say? That the sum of significances is positively and absolutely greater at any one epoch than any other, right? So mm -hmm. that, like, it's not, the like, its significance is no greater... We maybe we maybe haven't had a net loss of moral possibility just because an a, an old ideal is no longer right really useful right and then nor did we necessarily like really progress absolutely right in a certain regard I mean I feel like he's sort of saying like yeah like people lived on those ideals mm -hmm. and then the ideals shift people live on the new ideals and mm -hmm. that there can be. Mm -hmm. Right, the total sum of significances may be basically the same. It's just that the ideals have shifted, have shifted. and what people understand as being that, you know. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, cool.
That's James, at least what we read. That gave us a kind of applied pragmatism. I skipped the one where it was very abstract, where he's sort of talking about pragmatic theory of truth and all of that. So this gives us a little applied pragmatism. I look forward to talking about it with you all. I hope you enjoyed the readings as much as as much as Professor Sullivan and I did. Um, and I will, yeah, I hope you enjoyed, I hope you, uh, hope you would, you know, manage the midterm okay. See you all on Wednesday and or Friday.